by way of intro, this is Ashley, who's my assistant. She's just set it, recording the call for us for my podcast. This is Zach, my co-host. He uh, he played. Really read it. Read him your resume real quick. Read him the lowlights. I've been a TV host in reality forever. I was on like Guinness World Records, Gone Wild, America's Secret Slang, ESPN, Attack of the Show. Good friends with Harley Tat. Oh, there you go. He says hello. Yeah, I love uh, Harley. And he's now my occupational therapist. Now that I'm no longer Jingle Jared, we're talking, and this is weird because I'm doing your part now. We're talking to experts across every type of field in the world uh, to see if maybe their job could be my next job, and uh, see if. Uh, and we do that by just hearing their story, and at the end, Zach will just tell me whether or not I'm cut out for it. But. Um, yeah, that's that's the concept. Well, I got uh, I got to find this guy a job is what we're saying here. Yeah, I think. Well, as it, my job's mostly bullshit, that should be right up uh, Jared's. Dude, hours. I'd be good at that. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Zach, take it away. Yeah. So basically, you know, look, the man Jared has been the number one self-proclaimed jingle writer in the world for the past ten years, and now has a two-year uh, cease and desist on writing and competing with any other jingles in the marketplace, and needs a new gig. So we're reaching out to, uh, you know, NBA players, artists, musicians, creators of all kinds, people at the top of their game, restaurateurs, et cetera, to see if maybe what they do is something that Jared could consider doing in his next career. And we know you have a very impressive television resume. And we're thinking, hey, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, Jared could become someone who works in the reality TV game and, and steps it up a little bit. And Brent, uh, as a, the all of, a lot of the people that have been on here have been people that I've had personal experiences watching their careers uh also and brent's one of the most interesting coolest funniest people in tv but he people see the man now who has wheelhouse and all these amazing things but i want brent to take us back to the very very beginning before you were living in this underground bunker when you were i want even i want just a minute before pawn stars what your life was like just so we can understand what you were yeah i mean it's interesting. Corona has brought me back to my roots, uh, you know, being in a, in a, in a, in a room and not really being able to leave. Uh, my, my career started, uh, originally in local news and sports and, uh, then, uh, blossomed into, um, uh, working at Fox, uh, back in the day and, uh, working on a news magazine show. Uh, and, and after that show came to an end, we kind of all scattered across New York city. And it was at that point uh, that I thought it'd be really fun to um, to create my own TV show ideas, and uh, and so we rented out a basement that was not supposed to be meant for commercial use. Um, it cost six hundred dollars a month. It didn't come with things like heat, but uh, you know we got off to a hot start. We we did uh, bat mitzvahs and um, hey. uh, Indian weddings, which turn out are a very long thing to shoot, and I was getting paid for the wedding and not hourly. So, uh, so yeah, no, we, we, when I say we myself and, uh, kind of the, the people that started with me were, were, um, you know, we didn't know any better. And, and I think looking back, that was, that could have been a good thing. And, and so, uh, I sold my first show after about six years in that bunker. And then the third show we sold, which, uh, is how I know Jingle Jared, the number one jingle person of all time, um, <laughs> self-proclaimed. I like to say, like Zach. Uh, <laughs> what were those two shows, though? What were the the, the ones before Pawn Stars? I bet you there's something there. Yeah, one was called The Principal's Office, which took me back to my high school roots, and then the other one was called Bridal Boot Camp. And uh, Bridal Boot Camp was uh, 
one of the more fun shows I worked on that and my wife actually created that nobody ever watched. But uh, that third one, third time there's a charm, was Pawn Stars. You know, the show did not have any idea. I mean, it was a time kind of like this. We created it during the 2008-2009 financial crisis um, without kind of knowing that it would be timely. And, and and there was a chord that got hit at that point with the, with the American people, which was what happens if, you know, you don't have A, your job, B, you know, you can't get to the money in your bank because the banks aren't around. What the hell do you have around your house? And, uh, and, and, and so we had these colorful characters who could identify what was valuable and not valuable across their homes. And, um, on one, uh, early Monday morning, um, I was shooting with, uh, the Harrisons, uh, the talent, the, the, the characters, the stars of the show. Um, I put the emphasis on characters, uh, mm-hmm. shooting with them and, and Rick, the main guy started screaming at me, uh, you know. Who the F is Jingle Jared and Jingle Punks? And, and I was like, I don't, uh, no, wait, I do know who that is. That's, that's this guy that cut the opening. Well, evidently, as part of Jared's creative process, there was um, medicinal marijuana and uh, some other uh, um, illicit things being said that he put out on social media. And uh, we got a couple calls, but that spawned what is now a, a 10, 11 year relationship with uh, one of the more creative hustlers I've ever known um, and, 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 and had a few drinks with. I was scared shitless when I got that call from History Channel because it was like my first gig. And they're like, whatever you just put on YouTube, take it down. I was like, I was just joking. I was just creating hype for the show. They're like, we don't need your help promoting the show with your one YouTube follower. They're like, pull it down now. What and, was the video? I think it was me goofing around with my friend. Originally, the Pawn Stars theme had lyrics in it. And it was like, Pawn Stars! And it was this dude who came over to do a vocal session. But he is right. It was full of shenanigans and swear words and things that History Channel would probably turn their hair white. Being like, (laughs) knowing what I know now about how much money we made from that song, it was a pretty foolish thing to do. But hey, say la vie, live and learn. <laughs> but um since then, you know, Brent um has I, I want to hear more of the story because he built an empire off, you know, sometimes they say it takes one and then you you take your momentum and he saw something that I think that it's so funny and I'm so pumped to hear you say that it reminds you what's going on now 2008 because most traditional media people get freaked out with uncertainty in the space but there is a breed of people who can take uncertain moments and utilize that to you know create something unique and good and what happened next after the the launch of the series yeah no i think and with what's happening right now i think chaos creates opportunity and uh we're certainly seeing a lot of chaos but uh you know beyond everybody you know we're just hoping everybody's safe and healthy um it's, it's a time to be doing stuff like, you know, just having conversations and having real human interaction, even though it's through, um, you know, video chat that we were, we weren't having, I mean, my emails are down and my face-to-face video chats are 10 times what they've ever been. So interesting time. So, so coming out of uh, Pawn Stars, I mean, you know, and I think you could relate this to whether or not you're a musician, an artist of any kind, or an entrepreneur, you know, um, uh, one of my favorite sayings uh, that, that I try to kind of be, you know, keep in mind is nothing can kill a business faster than success. 
And that, that the first time I heard it, I, I didn't quite understand. But, you know, when you have success and of course you don't know when it's coming and, and sometimes it's very lucky and fortunate, like, you know, I think it was in my case, um, you, you know, you have an opportunity uh, to really grow something or to be, you know, pretty much um, uh, consumed by it. And so we were very fortunate that we had, you know, laid a lot of foundational bricks before that, that then um, allowed us to go and, and grow a much bigger business. So we took, you know, sort of all the, the money that we made off Fawnstars and we just plugged it right back into developing new TV ideas, you know, for, for, you know, the mu music world talks about it the most, but you don't want to be a one hit wonder. And uh, we certainly didn't want a show about a bunch of pawnbrokers to, to be the only show that would define us. Um, even though I love those guys. Uh, so, so we went off and we, we actually, um, put together what we would call sizzle reels. And for anybody that doesn't know what that is, that's taking uh, a bunch of footage and putting in a three to five minute uh, piece of tape together that highlights what a TV show could look like. And you go out and you sell it to these networks. And we put six of them together and we sold all six of them. And, and, and then all of a wow. sudden we had a real business. And, and so from that point on, it became about just uh, hiring, you know, and I, I think anybody that runs a, a business, um, and cares about the people who work for them as, as much as, as I do and others, you, you, you got to find great people. And uh, that became the next phase was find great people, keep great people. And, and then, you know, and make cool shit. Um, yeah. And the, it's amazing the the people that are around him because Brent is not your normal media, as they call it in my world, mucker, where he's a hard person. Some people are hard to get to. It's like, you know, the person who runs Disney or the person who runs, you know, ABC or CBS, but Brent through all of this has been a guy that like, I think the number one thing that people say when they meet you is first they go, wow, that's the guy. Cause you're so, you know, people approachable, approachable. Short, but you're also but a you're guy also <laughs> that like you could have a drink with and like actually, you know, connect with. I think that by not being walled off to the ideas around you, you've also found some great unlikely people to, to be in your world. Like, the amount of people we've had touch points with from like your executive producers at, during your time when it was left field and then ITV, your music people, your even Chris on the biz side, like there was a lot of characters there. And I mean, how do you know as an entrepreneur uh, now that you're doing it for the second time, what's a fit, what's not a fit for any company culture when you're, when you're putting together a business? Well, I think, and I'm sure you would echo this, like, uh, you know, there are people that are cut out for a startup and there are people that, you know, um, uh, are, 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 are used to being, uh, you know, on a nice expense account, you know, and, and I've seen it, the difference between those of us who, you know, get on the subway to go to TV pitches and then people who have a car hired all day for them. Um, and you know, those things may seem small, but they, they matter, I think, because, you know, we, we were very fortunate to have a great outcome with our business and now we're starting over. And, uh, that, that, you know, was, was kind of the first thing was just finding people who I thought could be the cornerstones of the business, but were also willing to take big pay cuts to come to a place and build something big where they could have a meaningful event, you know, in the, in, in hopefully the near future. I think, um, what's happening right now, of course, is a shock to everybody's system. And, uh, you know, because I bet on the right people over sort of the, the sexiest, maybe always betting on the sexiest people. Uh, you know, the, these guys and ladies are, are right there in the trenches with me as we kind of figure out how to deal with, with this virus and, and this economic hit. But, um, 
yeah. Jared's going through the same exact thing. And to echo what you said earlier, we had a big team meeting on Friday where he said, guys, this is the fun time. Once we start getting successful, everything's going to fall apart and we're going to hate each other. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of saying exactly what you're saying. And you're both, you know. You You're want it to be the the key of jazz is make the easy parts look hard and the hard parts look easy. And I think that there also were I loved watching Brent's success. And I think that when you're having fun and smiling, that can also sometimes upset the apple cart of the people around you. Did you as a as a band that has that number one hit, did you ever feel the backlash like at any point when you were rocking and rolling and you felt like, oh, my God, this wave can't get any higher? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Um I think I, it, it's it's a you know you you have to surround yourself I think with people that will be honest with you you know and um, that as you you know have some success in your career and you start to have you know something that that people uh, you know if you can be somebody who hires people if you have that power in its own right. Um, you can kind of get a very different approach from people and you can get people who are just being much nicer to you than if you don't have hiring power. You know, you see it from a, you know, um, a record label, you know, you see it from a TV network executive, if they can buy a show or, or, or pay to, you know, put your next album out, um, they have power. And I think not being confused into you know, in in our in our worlds, people come and go, and we all are up one day and down in the next day. And so, I think people, you know, really look for that steady um, that steady hand. And you know, how were they when things went rough? You know, I love to call not love to call, but because uh, it's not it's not always the nicest calls. But when people lose their jobs, I you know I try to pick up the phone and call them then, you know, because uh, they may have been in a spot where they were spending millions of dollars making people's dreams come true. And now they're just, they're at home and they're, and and that power and that uh, sort of buzz and self-confidence that was built out of that's gone. And so, you know, I I think it's just being human to all these people and, uh, and knowing, you know, look, we were, I think everything looked very different 30 days ago than it does right now. And, you know, we, uh, we, we were being cautiously optimistic with where wheelhouse was, was, and where it was headed. Um, we have, uh, you know, we have been, um, you know, saddled with, with anything that a startup or anything that any company would be going through right now with it. But, you know, we've, we've picked great partners and, uh, you know, I kind of have the ultimate celebrity partner in Jimmy Kimmel and, uh, you know, he's been uh, a steady hand and, um, uh, you know, somebody that I'm learning a lot from every day. And so, you know, it's just picking, picking right. And when you don't, when you don't pick right, cause a lot of times somebody looks good on paper and then it's just not a chemistry fit or they, you know, they, they don't have the, um, uh, the, all the work ethic that they, uh, you know, purported to, then, then we have to, to make moves. And I think at that point you make fast moves and, uh, you try to keep the ship back. How did that relationship come about with uh, Kimmel? Because, you know, obviously I go to the wheelhouse events. I see him there. He's like you, just a man of the people, you know, shaking hands and having fun. (laughs) Yeah, I think he's more of a man of the people than I am. I mean, I guess when you're when you do his job, you you really learn to listen to people. And and Jimmy would much rather listen to people than talk, which is not sort of typical of TV talent. we we were introduced by uh, our mutual agency WME, and 
Jimmy is a perfectionist and, um, and he is a, uh, uh, he, he has a work ethic. I don't know if I've ever seen. And, and, and I say that cause he also is able to balance that, uh, next to being a great father, husband and friend to so many people. And he takes care of a lot of people. Um, and so, you know, when we met and, and we talked about me backing and, and helping him with this media company that he wanted to launch, it sort of organically um, happened that he liked what we were talking about at Wheelhouse. And then we did, you know, a, a very sort of um, uh, uh, atypical deal where we, we, bo- we both became partners in each other's business and, um, and help each other in, a, in any way we can. So it really just started through meeting, having a few dinners, uh, getting to know him, you know, uh, most, not most, but a lot of celebrities say they want to do the work and will do the work. And then you sign a deal and you don't see them and you talk to their agents and all that stuff. Um, Jimmy, Jimmy was serious and, and he's done more than, more than he, uh, you know, promised he would, which was a lot. Dude, that's crazy. I, and, uh, I see, you know, a lot of his ability to generate formats. Like what are some of the formats that you guys are working on or have brought back? Yeah. Yeah. And, and really quickly, I mean, I think Jimmy's a lot like us, like he didn't start as Hollywood royalty, you know, and he was fired from radio stations and, uh, he just worked his way up and up and up and up. And, uh, you know, um, and so I think like, like you and and me, we, he appreciates his, uh, he appreciates his moment and his place, uh, in entertainment. Um, Jimmy had a list of ideas that he had been keeping kind of, um, in his pocket uh, because he was so focused on getting his, you know, his, his baby Jimmy Kim alive to, to a point where it was just hitting on all cylinders. And uh, you know, and he did that and it's, I think it continues to get better. He, he, he's, he's more than a comedian. Now he's, he speaks very intelligently across um, very difficult social issues and, and does it in a, in a, uh, you know, in a regular person's voice. And I think that's, that's given him a little bit of that John Stewart spot, um, that was left open. Um, but he, in his, uh, list of, of, of ideas and his favorite show that he had done was crank yankers yes. and crank yankers. Um, you know, uh, for, for those of us old enough to, to remember the first one is taking celebrities you know, having to do crank calls, which would probably be funny enough on its own, but then to have that reenacted <laughs> by puppets, um, it is uh, ridiculous. It's it's one of the most fun, I think, processes you could imagine across production. So and that's coming out said, soon, right? Like in the next couple yeah, of weeks, I thought I saw. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it was a big order of 20 episodes. Uh it, we, they did it in 10, 10 episode increments. So the second round's coming out um, uh, very soon. And what was, what was cool is how it came about because Comedy Central took a, um, a vote amongst all of its employees. What's the one show they would want to bring back? And, and oh, wow. Frank Anchors, yeah, it was, was, uh, was voted number one. Um, so that's one. We have you know, one, one thing that not everybody knows about Jimmy, he's very great at, at spotting talent. So he, he, you know, he was very in, involved in uh, Bill Simmons' career. And oh. um, yeah, he, he put, yeah, he brought Bill out as a writer years ago. Um, Carson Daly was his assistant. Uh, um, 
Uh, Adam Carolla was his boxing instructor. Guillermo worked in the parking lot. Uh, And uh, and now here's this guy, Mark Rober, who gets more hits than just about anybody on YouTube. And he's been Jimmy's science guy on the show. And so now we've got a big, uh, a big fun uh, prank show with discovery with Mark Rober. Um, And then, and then the, the, probably the Jimmy also uh I was going to say he's a big trailer park boys fan right like he yeah. brought them to America I remember for the first time or second I, I think I, I we all had something to do with it but he was like an early champion of those guys yeah he's he's really a tastemaker I I I find that if Jimmy says something's cool pretty much a large percentage of people are going to agree with it so his his ratio of his ideas and what we've sold uh, are, are much much higher than than any any uh, right. creatives I've been working with, and uh-huh. uh, the kind of the coolest thing he's done that's already come out um, is this uh, live in front of a studio audience with with Norman Lear, um, oh, yeah. and you know Norman Lear is an incredible pioneer, of course, you know arguably the greatest of all time, and he's in his mid nineties and sharp as attack and. Uh, you know, bringing back what what I found so interesting when he when they brought back um, uh, all in the family and the Jeffersons and Good Times, these shows that that Norman did forty years ago have so much similarity to this time right now, and uh, and it was incredible for you know talent at the level of Woody Harrelson and Will Ferrell and Marissa Tomei and Jamie Foxx and Kerry Washington to to really kind of dig in. A lot of these guys had never worked together. And some of them haven't done TV or haven't done live TV and, uh, and they won an Emmy straight out of the gate. So, so Jimmy's company, um, is off to a, a fabulous start and, uh, and he's got celebrity millionaire coming out, uh, in a few weeks. So he's cranky wow. trying to keep up with them. Jesus. Those are some, those are some big formats right there. Um, back to you for one second, just, um, you know, we don't have a ton more time left, but I want it to entrepreneurs out there that want to know, okay, like, you know, there's the difference between the people who have like the mom and pop unscripted TV shops and what you did. How did you know that it was going to be more than just your world? Did you, was that a conscious choice? You saw something in the marketplace and will you take us from that to how you actually went about finding someone to, you know, buy this company from you? Sure. You know, I, I learned a valuable lesson in, in middle school as I, as a baseball card dealer hey, who still, own, who's, <laughs> <laughs> who's, who unfortunately still owns all that cards because the, the industry fell out. Um, My mom lost uh, mine. I scream at her all the time. They're worth nothing, by the way. They're worth nothing. <laughs> They're worth nothing. But, uh, but I learned, I learned that lesson the hard way because I spent about four years of my life building this, um, this, uh, you know, hundred thousand uh, dollar card collection that ended up being worth about twelve dollars. Um, but that would come back to help me years down the road. So, so you, you know, what's interesting is when you have, you know, one company, you you don't know if you're every day if you're the greatest or the worst. Um, everything can feel you know sort of singular. When we when we started um, having success at Left Field, we ended up borrowing a bunch of money, which was extremely risky and going and um, buying a bunch of other companies. And uh, that, oh. that, became, that became the, um, the basis for building something that was larger as the sum of its parts. And uh, the short story is that unscripted television was growing so quickly in the, in the mid-2000s uh, uh, 
15 years, 2014, uh, 2015, that uh, a British company, ITV, needed to grow exponentially in, in that area. And they came over to the US and they were able to buy our four production companies and a senior team. And they paid a premium because of, you know, our size and our senior team. And so, you know, it was, it was very, very risky to take on so much outside capital. We were able to time it really correctly, but, but that's kind of how it went down. That's, I mean, look, in a very small way, your success was tied to mine. We were the picks and shovels of Unscripted. We sold the music for a lot of this content, but we followed their lead. They, you know, they built a, their company. We built up our company. They sell their company. We sold our company. And, um, you know, I guess, which brings us to where we are now, he has successfully, you know, transitioned into this new thing. I, did you have anything to worry about, about lockups or, Hey, you can't do this or you can't do that after the fact, or, uh, you were basically when it was done, it was done. Yeah, you know, I, I I did a little, you know, I went to run the parent company, which was ITV America, and um, am still partners with those guys. And they're, uh, you know, they're, they were my brothers in arms, and they make our shows, and they do Queer Eye and Fixer Upper and Cake Boss, and uh, you know, uh, on and on, um, and Pawn Stars, uh, and and so it. You know, for for me with Wheelhouse, this was an idea that would encapsulate everything we had done, and I, I go back to what you said, Jared. You know, we we made our money at my company Leftfield with the picks and shovels, with doing all the dirty work that most companies weren't doing. They were outsourcing, and that's where we we kind of found our profit margin. And so, with with Wheelhouse, the idea is to bring in celebrity talent, and Jimmy's the first, and we've got a bunch more cooking. And marry them with great content creators and, and marry them to TV shows and brands and, and really get a, a pretty cool marketing entertainment business that can act as a platform for people to launch ideas through. And, and that has become the idea. And that's what um, you know, gets us up out of, out of bed in the morning is you know, what happens when we come up with the next fun idea? Can we, can we actually have a piece of that business? in addition to the TV show. It's genius, and I get it completely. Last thing before we let you go is, can you give us the condensed story of how you discovered the Pawn Star guys and just the series of events <laughs> that led to you buying that show or creating so, it? Yeah, so the great thing about unscripted TV, as Zach knows, is you never know when the ideas are going to come. And I was in Vegas on a, on a bachelor party, and realized I needed to be in Las Vegas more. That was really important um, <laughs> to me. And uh, literally drove by a pawn shop, not the pawn shop, and came back to my development team and, and um, my now sister-in-law, uh, who is our uh, running development casting for us. And she um, called around and found the guys. She, she ran into my office, very excited. She played some YouTube clips of these guys. I thought they were marginal at best. Um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm getting a call from the main guy saying, look, if you want this, we've got two other people who want it. You got to come out here. And he was charming and he was funny and he was probably full of shit. But uh, we went out there and we shot a sizzle reel and we came back and we never thought the history channel would buy it because, you know, for people that remember the history channel back then, it was, it was, it was the it was Hitler Hitler. channel. Yeah, it was it was the World War II and, and Hitler channel. Um, 
And and fortunately for us, uh, because of the economic downturn, the um, president of of the network, this woman Nancy Dubuque, had literally just watched a a Florida a local Florida news um, story that said pawn shops are going to have this kind of crazy moment now. And and that was told. She told that to her team the day before we went walk in there to pitch wow. it. So, lot of lot of blind luck there. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's the Pawn Stars backstory. Zach, I'll say one thing. There's a. I don't believe in luck. There's no such thing as luck. You just try a lot of things, and the universe points you in the right direction. And uh, man, you got me fired up about you know. Look, this is not great times for anyone. We're all very lucky that we are you know, in a circumstance where we have enough food, enough everything. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, what's getting me up every day is creating, staying in conversation with people. And boy, I wish I had stock in Zoom right now. And, <laughs> and uh, but I'm I, your story, uh, you know, uh, who knows, maybe my next job will be uh, creating cool content and just, you know, talking with you today. Um, you have my mind going uh, a million miles an hour. So as your, as your occupational you. uh, therapist, Jared, uh, again, and sometimes I like to tell you when you're not qualified for a job, but I think you are the kind of guy, again, who sees ideas before a lot of people. You've jumped in on some ideas. I've been like, what is he talking about? And then two weeks later, it's like sold, you know, <laughs> it's incredible. So I think you could definitely do what, uh, what he's done in his career. And, and finally, you know, before we let you go, do you want to trade an 84 Donruss Mattingly for an 85 Maguire Olympic? Well, <laughs> for anybody, <clears throat> for anybody who uh, knows baseball, uh, that, that would be a bad trade for me. Damn it. Um, yeah. <laughs> the you, steroid card. If you do in your upper deck first uh, edition. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's a beautiful card. That is a good one. <laughs> I have nine of them somewhere in my mom's house. They're worth nothing. <laughs> Well, Brent, you're the man. Thank you so much. Uh, occupational therapy, this was great. Speak to you soon. Yeah, right, man. Thank you both, guys. See you soon. Be safe. Send my best to family. Audio.